0: Today on The Matt Walsh Show, more major cities and state draconian mandates segregating the unvaxxed from society. This must be done because we're all in this together, they say. Also, the data on Omnicorn keeps coming in, and all of it indicates that there's no reason to panic. Just don't tell the media that. Plus, Louis C.K. has a new comedy special out. The left says that this somehow proves that cancel culture isn't real. Is that true? Plus, in our daily cancellation, we'll deal with the social media influencer who recorded a choreographed dance routine in the hospital with her severely sick newborn baby. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, it took me a while before I really started thinking about life insurance and the fact that this is uh, really a moral obligation that I have to make sure that my uh, loved ones are taken care of in case anything happens to me. And the great thing is that um, if you are just thinking about getting life insurance now, um, it's not as daunting a task as uh, you might think because there is policy genius to help. All you gotta do is um, head to policygenius.com and enter a few questions about yourself, answer a few questions about yourself. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need. And compare personalized quotes to find your best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Their licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for a policy. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance company. What that means is that you can trust them because uh, you know they're not trying to. They're not going to be biased. They're going to offer you unbiased help and advocate for you at every step until you're covered. So that's as simple as this. Just head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. Again, that's policygenius.com. You know, from the beginning of the pandemic, we've been harangued and harassed by people screaming at us that we're all in this together. But it's also been clear from the beginning that uh, some asterisks were needed, you know, for that phrase. Actually, every word needs one. I mean, what do they mean by we? Who is we? And what do they mean by in this? In what exactly? And in what sense are we, whoever we are, in whatever we're in, together? These questions are left unanswered, but the powers that be continue to insist on this framing in ways and in contexts that uh, are increasingly creepy and Orwellian. So, case in point, just yesterday, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu became the latest big city mayor to impose strict vaccine mandates that will exclude unvaccinated people to include young children from participation in pretty much every aspect of everyday life. She's calling this policy her Be Together initiative. That's really what they're calling it. A policy which segregates thousands of city residents from everybody else and prevents them from participating in society is called the Be Together initiative. Here she is explaining it.
1: Today we're announcing that Boston will be implementing a requirement for proof of COVID-19 vaccination for certain indoor spaces, which we're calling our Be Together initiative. Be Together will require proof of vaccination to enter indoor dining, well, three, three categories, just so you can keep the count. First, indoor dining, including bars and restaurants. Secondly, indoor fitness venues, such as gyms. And third, indoor entertainment, recreational, and event venues, such as theater shows or sports games. Starting January 15th, customers or patrons ages 12 and up and employees at these locations will be required to show proof that they've released, received at least one dose of the vaccine, and this will phase into requiring two doses on February 15th. We're also setting dates for children to be vaccinated to enter these spaces beginning in March.
0: Yes, we're going to bar them from certain indoor spaces to include um, all of them, you know, all of the indoor spaces, but we must all be together. Uh, Yeah, we, we, we must all be together. Now get the hell out, you sick, filthy bastards. Quite an inspiring message, and it's a message that we're hearing with increasing regularity and ferocity, uh, supposedly in response to the Omnicorn variant. But the attempt to fearmonger over Omnicorn has gone wrong in some kind of hilarious ways. Just this morning, CNN brought the CEO of Northwell Health on the air, which runs dozens of hospitals in the New York area. And uh, instead of getting the scary message they were clearly hoping for, Instead, the guy can hardly keep himself from yawning as he discusses the very mild COVID situation in New York at the moment. Listen.
2: Yeah, we're doing very, very well. uh, Very manageable. There's no crisis. Um, So let me just give you a little bit of perspective. Uh, We have right now about 460 patients in our hospitals. That's less than 10% of our overall capacity. And this time last year, during the second wave, uh, we had almost a thousand cases this time last year. And compared to where we were back in the first wave, we had three thousand five hundred patients in our hospitals. So when you look at the numbers today, they're relatively modest and that have been increasing, you know, relatively slowly since since Thanksgiving. We do expect an increase now over the holidays, but it is all manageable. Um, we will be able to deal with this. And I think it's time for people to get be a little bit calm, uh, you know, a little bit more rational. And uh, while the positivity rate in the community is increasing dramatically, that does not mean that they automatically convert into hospitalizations. I mean,
0: I, I love that. It's, you know, it's uh, look, everyone be calm. Everything's fine. There's no problem. And my favorite part is the CNN anchor visibly pouting. You can see see him. He's pouting as he's told that there's no crisis. Everything's fine. Like, no, people really aren't aren't dying from this very much. And and everything's fine. We got plenty of hospital beds. And this guy, he's, he's distraught. I feel bad for him. I mean, I'm sorry, CNN anchor, that more people aren't dying from this. I know it's tough for you. Tough break for CNN. Really sorry about that. But this isn't going to stop the power-mad despots like Mayor Wu or de Blasio or Biden or Fauci or any of the rest of them from ranting about the dangers, the winter of sickness and death that's upon us, and instituting more Orwellian policies all under the guise of we're all in this together. Let's stay together, be together. But what does that really mean? Well, when they say it, we must understand that coming from them, we means you. And this refers not to COVID, but to their control. And together is not intended to be understood as any sort of consensual unity. They mean together in the way that hostages during a bank robbery might be together, bound at gunpoint. So we're in this together means you are under their control. And that's how they can justify segregation, division, separation, exclusion in the name of togetherness. We can still be together in the sense that they mean the phrase, even as we're divided like wheat from the chaff and some portion of us are cast into the furnace. And yet, as we look around, we see that another just today, another well-known Democrat, this time disgraced pervert Katie Hill, uh, used to be in Congress, but she couldn't, have st- she couldn't stop having sex with her, with her staff members. And now she's not in Congress anymore. She was diagnosed today with COVID. She is double vaxxed and boosted. She joined Senator Elizabeth Warren, who was triple jabbed. Still came up positive for COVID this week. Senator Cory Booker, another one. CNBC host Jim Cramer is down with COVID now, too, despite having three shots. Democrat Representative Jason Crow has COVID now, too, along with his uh, three shots of the vaccine. This is all just this week. An outbreak in Congress happening at the same time as an outbreak during uh, in, the, in the NFL among fully vaccinated NFL players. Lots of people who've gotten three doses of the vaccine in less than a year are getting sick. But we can't ask any questions about that. You know, I recently had to go and get a tetanus booster after getting a rusty nail stuck in my foot, and uh, which wasn't a really fun experience. And, but they recommended it because it had been more than ten years after my last shot, and uh, and that makes sense to me. A booster after ten years makes sense. Okay, I get that conceptually. I can understand how, and I and I understand how you would call that a booster but a booster after six months? Is that a booster shot or more of a wait, this isn't working, let's try another one shot? Is it a booster or a do-over? That's a question, but these are questions we're not allowed to ask. Whatever you call the third shot or the first two, it's clear enough that people who got all three shots or two shots are contracting and spreading the disease. Lots of them are. The vaccine doesn't stop transmission. If there's compelling evidence that the vaccine even significantly slows transmission, I haven't seen it, though I'd love to see it if it exists. That's why the vaccine mandates are not reasonable. I mean, leaving aside the ethical issues and the constitutional issues, those you know, those small details, these measures are not a rational response to the situation because vaccinated people are spreading it also. We are all potential carriers. We can all catch it and spread it. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Well, it might also be written that there is no one immune from spreading COVID, not even one. They, they want to separate us into classes of clean and unclean, but it turns out that uh, I guess we're all unclean. And And maybe there's a certain beauty in that, a certain unity. Because it turns out they were right all along, though not for the reasons they thought. We really are all in this together, I guess. Now, let's get to our five headlines. Well, you might not know that the garage is the most frequently accessed entry to uh, most people's homes, but uh, even in spite of that, it's often overlooked. Uh, the, ga- the garage is still where people you know, come and go, and they also keep a lot of their um, most prized possessions there, including cars, tools and bikes and everything else. So it's just kind of common sense to know what's going on inside the garage. Introducing the MyQ smart camera by Chamberlain, the only smart camera optimized for the garage brought to you by the leaders in garage door opener technology with features like live video streaming, recorded events, motion detection, and two-way communication right from your phone. You can make sure that your garage is secure 24/7. And uh, if you want, you can pair it with the MyQ smart garage control, which means you'll never have to worry if you left the garage door open because you can take care of all that on your phone. Um, the MyQ camera is easy to install and you can quickly connect it to your phone via Bluetooth in the MyQ app. It's just that easy. So what are you waiting for? Give the gift of a MyQ smart garage camera to tech lovers this season. If you act now, you can save 46% for a limited time by entering Walsh at checkout on myq.com Walsh. That's 46% Walsh at checkout at myq.com Walsh. Keep an eye on what's happening in and around your home's busiest entryway with the MyQ smart garage camera. It's the only smart camera optimized for the garage. So a little bit more on uh, on Omnicorn, because I think that um, th- this is this is just really important. With all the fear-mongering going on in the media, even if you know better, it's, it's easy to fall victim to it, um, because the more this is drilled into your head, uh, it, after a while, it kind of breaks down your defenses. But that's why we have to continue to highlight the fact that when we're talking about Omnicorn, it's an extremely mild illness, according to all the data that we have. And according to according to the this is how you can tell the real like public health experts, the real doctors from the fake ones. Because the real doctors are on TV saying, look, this, this is not a big deal for most people. And then you see how that message gets filtered through people like Fauci and the way that he interprets that. So here is um this is in the New York Post. Uh, talking about the the telltale symptoms of the surging Omnicorn variant. It says, a noted noted British doctor is highlighting several symptoms that distinguish the Omnicorn variant from the common cold and even other strains of COVID-19, including drenching night sweats. Dr. Amir Khan described the distinguishing episodes as those kinds of drenching night sweats where you might have to get up and change your clothes. The other telltale symptoms of Omnicorn are a scratchy throat as opposed to a sore one. A dry cough, fatigue, and uh, and uh, muscle aches. He said, "Quote: This is important. It's important that we keep on top of these symptoms. If we're going to track Omnicorn and track it worldwide, we need to be able to test people with these symptoms." So those are the um, the telltale signs of the Omnicorn variant. That your s- night sweats, which I mean that's that's unpleasant when you wake up at night and uh, you're you're drenched with with sweat, a scratchy throat. You're tired. You have some sore muscle aches. Now, I know they say that this this is what distinguishes it from the common cold. But the fact that you can confuse it, the fact that so many people might confuse it with the common cold, I think tells you something. Because to me, I read this and this sounds like a relatively mild illness. This this is basically a cold. That's what it is. Uh, For all intents and purposes, for most people. And again, the doctor who originally alerted the world about uh, the Omnicorn variant, she has been ever ever since then. You know, she she did the right thing. It's like this is a variant that's out there. Let's tell people about it, and that was the right thing to do. But then the world freaked out, and ever since then, she's been on TV saying, "Everyone, calm down. This is not a. It's not a big. It's really not anything to panic over." So she was also on CNN. She's with the uh, with the same anchor, I think, John Berman. Um talking about the situation in South Africa right now after Omnicorn surged through, swept through, and it's, it's only been a couple of weeks. I mean, we first heard about this right around Thanksgiving. And what's the situation right now? Because k- keep something else in mind. When you look at the hospital data, the uh, mortality, we looked at some of those graphs yesterday, some of those um, some of those charts. And you can see that there's a, a very distinct separation between cases, and hospitalizations and deaths because cases yeah cases are surging that line is going up okay that graph is that's some that's a mountain right there uh that's got a mountainous peak of cases but then you look at hospitalizations and death and they're all the way down here they're lagging far behind if you go back a year ago you'll find that obviously the case the the hospitalization and death line was much lower than the cases line but they were tracking in the in, in kind of the same direction. As cases went up, so did... If cases... If, if there was a, a dramatic rise in cases, there'd be a dramatic rise in hospitalizations and deaths. We're not seeing that right now. Thank God. But one thing that we're told from the panic porn peddlers is that, well, uh, hospitalizations and death deaths, they, they lag behind cases. So just because we're seeing... We're not seeing that a bunch of people are dying right now, that doesn't mean... That they won't die in the future. They tell us, hopefully. Because that's what they want. They, they actually, they want people to die of this. So they can continue selling the fear. But that's why I think it's important to go to South Africa. Okay, if it's it's been, it's been several weeks now. And um, if hospitalizations and deaths lag behind cases, then we should see now in South Africa, after this thing tore through the country... We should see that uh, people are dying left and right. Is that the case? Let's check in with the doctor. Doctor, we're thrilled
2: to have you because I think in the United States, we can learn a lot about your experience over the last month. You've been dealing with this now for quite a long time. We're just beginning to deal with it now. So I just want to start with cases. What are you seeing in
0: terms of the number of cases at this point? Up, down, stable, what?
1: Um, good, um, good afternoon. Uh, yes, it's very interesting question. What we currently see is our cases are sort of um, we're over the curve. It's so, sort of coming down. So, um, you know, in Gauteng, we which was the epicenter, the numbers much lower. Uh, it is, however, still spreading to the eastern, western Cape and KwaZulu Natal because of the holidays. Um, but you know, all our, in, in total, if you look at our numbers, it's 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 going down. Our positivity rate still stays high, um, around about 30%, and the reason is that people go and test.
0: Okay, so that's what we hear. There's a very steep drop-off in cases, and then that's cases, but then when we go over to deaths, which I talk about later, in fact, I I can look at the graph right now. In South Africa, they have a seven-day average um, of deaths at 44 in the entire country, and for comparison's sake, you can look back at January last year, in the winter, and their seven-day average was five... At at its peak, the seven-day average was 577. So a peak of 577, seven-day average, and now they're down to 44 after this dreaded variant of Omnicorn ripped through the country and got everybody sick. This is all very, very positive news. If, If you are irrational and moral person and you don't want people to die and you actually want to be past all of this, then this is very good news. As I've been saying for weeks now, this, to me as a non-public health expert and as a non-doctor, Okay, I I don't I don't claim to I'm unlike Fauci. I'm not going to sit here and say that if you disagree with me, you're disagreeing with the science. I don't claim to be an avatar for science, a representative of science um, because nobody can be. But even I can look at this information and see that, well, this could be the, the end. This could be covid's end game. This is a positive development. What I just read was now they think that uh, it's something like 70% of all COVID cases in America. I believe I'd have to check that again, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's at seven, like around 70% of all cases in America right now are, are the omnicorn variant. So this is the dominant strain in America. Now that tells you how infectious this thing is. That it was able to sweep through that quickly. But we haven't seen this stark rise in deaths. Okay, so that, that tells us again it's very it's very mild, and that's a that's a good thing. COVID becomes a basically a mild cold that it's it's out there and it's kind of seasonal and people get it, and they most of them get over it, and then you're fine. Um on, uh, on COVID, I want to show you this as well. I, I don't know if you're ready to meet this person. This is the most pathetic man, potentially, in the history of the internet. And I know that's quite a statement, but I I think he's in the running anyway. He's he's in the competition. So This is a guy walking through an airport. Do we have these uh, pictures? Um, Oh, here we go. So this guy's name is Aiden. And by the way, of course, he has his pronouns listed in his bio. I didn't have to tell you that. And you can't really see his picture there very well, but he he looks exactly as you expect him to look. And uh, he says spotted in the United Terminal. At uh, San Francisco airport, I've been in four airports this week and far from travelers, far more travelers flaunt the mask regulations in U.S. airports versus the Canadian ones. I hope I'm not sitting next to her on this red eye. And then you see a woman who's just like sitting on the phone uh, without a mask on. And so he's taking a picture of this woman to publicly shame her. And by the way, he posted this to Twitter. This is against the rules now. This is supposed to be against the rules to take up. They were very explicit about this. To take a picture of someone and post it without their consent is against the rules to get you banned. But he's walking through the whole airport and taking pictures of everyone. And then he gets another guy, man, watching something on his tablet at uh, gate E4. So there's just a guy watching something on his tablet. And he's taking a picture of this guy, no consent. And he gets, there's another guy. He takes a picture of him. I think there's one in the airplane as well. So he's just walking through. Man with stylish backpack between gates E4 and F5. So he's given the exact, exact coordinates of these maskless people at the airport. I don't know for what reason. Does he think the FBI is going to swoop in? I'm not sure what exactly he's trying to accomplish. Um, And then he's got man, super spreader, gate F5. That guy is a super spreader. Aiden has decided, and of course his name is Aiden, by the way, everything about this. When I first saw that, I think this is, I thought this has got to be some kind of parody. There's no way this is too perfect. A guy named Aiden with a mustache and pronouns in his bio walking through the airport crying as he takes pictures of maskless people. Um, But it's not a parody. This appears to be completely real. And he's just determined that he's also decided, by the way, that all of these people are sick. And he goes on and on and on. How many pictures are there? Now he's taking pictures of minors, of kids, posting them online without consent. This is perfectly okay. Twitter's not going to take this down. All right, so we get the idea. Um and he's, he's decided that all of these people are sick. This is the way that his 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 broken brain works now or does or fails to work. That every single person he sees, if he sees their face in public, they are direct threat to him. And they're all sick. And they're all super spreaders. I mean that one guy was sitting by himself, there's no one else around. And uh but he's a, he's now a super spreader. This is Along with uh, mental illness, this is also pure cowardice. You know, C.S. Lewis said that that courage is the form of every virtue at its testing point, and uh, which means that you know you you can't you, you can't really have any other virtue if you don't have courage, because in order to in order to um, act upon any virtue, in order to be virtuous, then you, you, that also requires courage. To act in that way. So then what does it mean when we become a country of cowards? When we become a country like this, with with, I I hesitate to even call him a man, only in in the biological sense is he a man. But what does that mean? And if we become a country of cowards, it means that we have no virtue at all. You get rid of uh, courage, you get rid of all virtues. And these are people who are not only cowardly, but they have no shame. I mean, there have always been cowards in the world, right? But in the past, you'd, you'd be ashamed of your cowardice. You wouldn't want to advertise it. If you found yourself walking through a public area, uh, shaking like a leaf in fear, because you're afraid someone's going to get you sick, in the past, you might have that experience if you're a very cowardly person, but you keep it to yourself. You wouldn't want other people to know. Now you've got people like Aiden advertising their cowardice for for everyone to see. They're proud of it. They're proud of being fearful cowards. That has become its own, in our upside-down world, that has become its own virtue. Now it's almost as though cowardice is is the form of every virtue at its testing point. All right, let's move on to this. Kim Potter's trial went to a jury deliberations yesterday. She's the officer who shot Dante Wright. And um, the jury went to deliberations yesterday, did not come to a verdict. Here she is. I just wanted to play this for you. This is a couple of days ago during her testimony. She decided to take the stand and um, in, in her own defense. And here she is kind of describing the scene. And, w- and when you watch this, describing what happened with Dante Wright. And when you watch this, you gotta, you gotta think, okay, is, is this a remorseless killer? Is this someone who really, who we feel needs to be punished in addition to the psychological and emotional torment that she's experiencing? I don't know, you watch this and uh, you decide.
2: Did you say anything when you saw this? What did you do?
0: We were struggling. We were trying to keep him from driving away. It just—it just went chaotic. I, it. And then I
1: remember yelling, "Taser! Taser! Taser!" And nothing happened. And then he told me I
0: shot. And uh, it, she, there are many scenes like that when she was testifying. She's just totally broken um, by this experience. Uh, that's that's pretty clearly not acting. I mean, this is someone who's who's devastated. She's a, a, a normal woman. That's all. It's like a normal person who was thrown into this situation and uh, and did make a mistake. Like, nobody's denying that in this in this case. Um, I, I still think that that would have been the best defense. Actually, would have been to say, well, "I did it on purpose." But she's being honest, and there's also no getting around it because she says on 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 tape that it was that it was an accident, so she acknowledges that. But um, if 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 it were possible to say that this was that this was done intentionally, then there'd be no case at all. Because when you're dealing with a violent suspect who is fighting back against you and then tries to climb back into a vehicle, uh, I think you have every right to shoot him. Because you don't know if he's grabbing for something. You, you know he's wanted on a weapons charge. You know he's a violent criminal. So you don't know if he's grabbing something. And, and even if he isn't, this is what I said about the Jacob Blake case. Yeah, Jacob Blake was armed. He was reaching. And then he was shot, and I guess, and, and that's the reason why that police officer was never brought up on any charges, because he was reaching. But I would say, even if he didn't have a weapon, and even if somehow you knew he didn't have any weapons in the car, you'd still be justified in shooting him. I would have shot him. Because because when he gets into the car, that becomes a weapon. A violent, dangerous suspect in a vehicle, is now, that is now a you know, a multi-ton weapon that he is going to be driving around at uh, 60 plus, you know, 100 miles an hour or whatever. That becomes a giant battering ram that he can run into anything. And then in Jacob Blake's case also, there were kids in the car. And so I think taking the gun, taking the knife out of it, taking everything out of it, uh, I think you're perfectly justified in shooting him dead right there to stop him from getting into the car. And I would say the same thing for Dante Wright. You cannot let him get in the car and start start driving away because that's when people, that's when an innocent person might get killed. That's when one of the cops might get killed. I mean, suspects use vehicles as weapons against police officers frequently. Um, So if she had simply done it on purpose and said, yeah, I did it on purpose, then I think there'd be no case at all. In this case though, we know it was an accident, but now the question becomes, you watch that testimony, And you think about the whole situation, does this seem like the sort of person who we as a society need to punish? Is she someone who needs to be, is she a danger to society? Does she need to be segregated from society? She's already lost her job. Obviously, she's not going to be a police officer anymore. Um, you, you, you You could certainly make the argument that she probably never should have been a police officer. But then, you know, that brings up a conversation that nobody wants to have about, uh, about there, there are a lot of female police officers out there who are not physically capable of dealing with violent male suspects. But that's a conversation that nobody really wants to have. So she's not. if she's not a police officer anymore, is she a danger to society? Does she need to be segregated from society for that reason? Clearly not. Um, Is she some sort of remorseless, sociopathic killer? Clearly not. Did she make a mistake? Clearly she did. She feels terrible about it. It's probably already ruined her life. Not probably, it has. Uh, I I don't know what throwing her in prison accomplishes. I look at this in some way similar to a a tragic case where you, you hear about one of those things you, as a parent, you worry about so much, uh, you know, a, a parent backing out of their driveway backs over their own child and, and kills them. Um, you know, unless the parent was really being negligent and reckless and was a drug addict and was, a, you know, like unless there was something, unless there's some kind of exigent circumstances. Normally, when you look at that, you say, well, are you going gonna to put the parent in prison for that? Their life is already ruined. They, they, they are more distraught over this than anybody else. What, what what does the punishment accomplish? Then it becomes just cruel. Adding that on top of this tragic event which has utterly ruined them. So it's similar to that, only not so similar on second thought because uh, the child in that case is an innocent victim. Dante Wright was not an innocent victim and he was not a child. He was a grown man, violent criminal, and uh, he's the one who created the situation. So when I when I look at Kim Potter... On trial for her life, distraught, her life is ruined. You know who I blame for that? I blame Dante Wright. You know, I, I get angry at Dante Wright for doing that to her. He did that to her. If he was alive, he should be the one apologizing, just like Jacob Blake should be the one apologizing to the police officer who had to shoot him. Because you're a violent scumbag. You've lived your whole life victimizing people at will, as Dante Wright did, victimizing people in brutal, savage ways. And then uh, you have a police officer simply trying to do their job to bring you in because you're a dangerous criminal and that's what they're supposed to do. And you decided to fight because you don't care about the law, you don't care about the rules, you don't care about anybody. And a terrible accident happened in the process and someone le- le- someone's life is ruined. A good person's life is ruined because of you. So I, I put the blame on Dante Wright. Um, all right, let's go to this from the Daily Mail. It says, a hero Wisconsin mother of two died eight days after suffering, suffering severe injuries when she saved her four-year-old son from being brutally attacked by the family's pit bull. Heather uh, Pingle, 35, for bowler, suffered kidney failure, lung damage, and both of her arms had to be amputated after the pit bull viciously attacked her and her son. She was rushed to the um, Aspirus Hospital where she died of her injuries on December 16th. Damien received uh, 70 stitches to his leg and is and his ba- back home recovering. Uh, that's her son, Damien. So she had both her arms amputated and then eventually she died. Yeah, I, I bring this case up because it's a horrible case, but also, uh, Yet again, I think it emphasizes that it's, uh, it's simply crazy to allow these, these animals to be owned you know, in, in, in our neighborhoods. This kind of thing, it happens every single year. It is not all that rare. Pit bulls are very dangerous animals. They're bred to be dangerous. They are uniquely dangerous. Not every dog breed is equal in that sense. Some dog breeds are more dangerous. than other. Pit bulls are the most dangerous because they are bred to be aggressive. They're bred to be fighting dogs. They're built like machines. And you could say all you want that oh, I have a pit bull and he's so cute and I put funny hats on him and what I kids uh, he would never hurt anybody. No, he's a he's an animal. Okay. And if he has a bad day or something snaps or something triggers. Uh, you know, someone does something innocent, but that triggers an instinctive reaction in the animal. He's going to become—he's going to become a, a a death machine, mauling children, killing women. This happens every single year. In fact, the website banpitbulls.org, which I think they put their biases right there in the uh, URL, but it's—but even so, the information is good. It says um, pit bull attacks in the U.S rose 700. And th- so this, this information is a little bit old, but since 2014, it says pit bull attacks in the U S rose 773% between tw- 2007 and 2014. In the 10 year period from 2005 to 2014, pit bulls killed 200 Americans and accounted for 62% of the 326 total recorded deaths by dog bites. Um, and, uh, and then it goes on with more statistics. Well, you, go, you you can look up yourself. But the vast majority of maulings happen by pit bulls. Now, if you want to look at dog bites in general, including just like a nip on the hand, pit bulls might not be at the top there. Probably like a poodle would be at the top, but poodles, poodles aren't killing anybody. So severe maulings, pit bulls by far and away are responsible for most of them. Um, they killed 200 people in the span of seven years. Now, yeah, you could say, well, you know, many more people die of car accidents every year, so on and so forth. But the, this, we're talking to hundreds of people mauled to death by animals, by animals that we allow into our communities. Why? I, I, so I know what the argument is for not allowing pit bulls. Say, so ban pit bulls. The argument is that these can be very, very dangerous animals, uniquely dangerous, and they kill hundreds of people. And they maul thousands of people, and um, and young kids get their faces ripped off. And so that's why we, we should not allow pit bulls. That's the argument for banning them. What is, exactly is the argument for allowing them? The argument is they're cute. I like them. That's really a whole argument. That's <laughs> just that, that is not an argument. This, pit bulls are not. This is this is not. Uh, we talk about the right to bear arms because I know. That's another thing pit bull apologists will often make this comparison. So, well, what you're doing, this is just what the, uh, what the gun control crowd does with guns. Yeah, you have a constitutional right to bear arms. There's no constitutional right to bear pit bulls. Pit bull's an animal. And there are all kinds of animals that you're not allowed to bring into neighborhoods. And I would think that most of us would agree with most of those laws. You can't bring a lion into, in most communities will not allow you to um, just own a lion and have it hanging around in the backyard. Is that an infringement of your constitutional rights? No. And why don't we allow lions? Well, because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there are probably cases of people having domesticated lions and not getting mauled by them, but they are uniquely dangerous. These are wild animals. Um, it presents uh, a, a threat to the community and there's just no good reason to do it. So your desire to have a lion does not outweigh the desire of your neighbor to not have his child's face bitten off. That's is the argument. Okay, this is from the New York Post. It says, um, the headline, Louis C.K.'s new sorry special proves cancel culture isn't real, critics say. And the article says, Louis C.K.'s sorry act is no laughing matter to some social media watchdogs. The controversial comic is hyping a new comedy special as many viewers learned this weekend over a commercial break during a very sparse episode of Saturday Night Live due to the fresh COVID-19 outbreak in New York City. Um, The aptly titled Sorry, shot over the summer at uh, Madison Square Garden, is the 54-year-old comedian's first since he uh, faced numerous allegations of sexual misconduct in 2017. And uh, that's actually not true. He's done a couple of comedy specials, so they're wrong about that. But anyway, um, he, he recorded this comedy special, and he streamed it on his website, where you could go and buy it for $10, and that's and that's where it was. It wasn't on Netflix, it wasn't on Amazon, or anything like that. And uh, there were a lot of leftists on social media who were saying, oh, you see, it, it, you say the cancel culture is, is real, but now Louis C.K. is still performing comedy, and he's got a comedy on his website. Now, how does that negate the reality of cancel culture? Um, can, we, we know that Louis C.K. was canceled... Because this comedy special was not streamed on Netflix or Amazon prior to the scandal, right? This would be on Netflix and he would have gotten paid, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to do a series of specials like Dave Chappelle has for Netflix. So he's doing this on his own website. He has been been barred from uh, most of these platforms. They're not going to go anywhere near him. They're not going to touch him. And uh, he's not, you know, he's not doing the late night shows to promote it like he would have done beforehand. And he's got to just put it out on his website. So, yeah, that, that, that still qualifies as canceling. Doesn't disprove anything. But it does make me wonder. You know, the advocates of, of cancel culture, while, while they claim that it doesn't exist, what they really mean is that they think it should go a lot farther than it does. Because you're taking issue with Louis C.K. doing a comedy special and, and putting it up on his own website? You, well, you, think, you think he should be prevented from doing that? I mean, it's a free country. He's not in jail. He's a comedian, so this is what he does. This is his craft, and so he's still going to tell jokes. So what you seem to be saying, though, if you're on the side of, oh, this, this proves cancer culture isn't real, what you're really saying is that you don't think that he should be able to do that. So walk me through that exactly. Somebody ends up in a scandal. They're they're not brought up on charges. They don't go to jail. So they're still a free person walking around. And somehow you think that they ought to be prevented from producing content and putting it on their own website. That's all he's doing. Or maybe it's because maybe we're saying cancel culture isn't real because, uh, yeah, he's free to do the comedy. That he wants to do and he's free to release it on his website. But the real it what they're really taking issue with is that there's an audience for it. That's what they really are upset about. That probably, I don't I don't think we have those numbers, but probably millions of people went and downloaded it. And people still go to Louis C.K.'s shows. So maybe that proves that cancel culture isn't real. No, you know what that proves? Here's what it proves it proves that Louis C.K., whatever you think of him. In his private life, is a very good comedian, and he's funny, and so people still want to hear him tell jokes. That's all that proves. In fact, if he can survive the, the scandal and still have an audience and still do these shows, then that's that's just a testament to the fact that he's a, a very very good comedian. That's all, and it also shows that a lot of people in the audience. Um, are able to separate a person's private life from their craft or their art. And if you're on the right, you know, you, you've, you've gotten very accustomed to this. That's one of the reasons why there isn't much of a cancel culture on the right, there isn't one at all. I mean, the main reason, as I've said before, is that the left owns all of the institutions and cancel culture is something that, is, that, is, that, that happens from the top down. It's, an, it's, a, it's, it's institutional power. You know, cancel culture is a mechanism. It's a tool of institutional power. The right doesn't have any institutional power. But the other thing is that is that I think people on the right don't really bother going after people for their things that have in their private life and scandals and all of that because we, we have gotten so accustomed to separating who a person is and what they do in their private life from the craft because if we, if we were not able to separate those things, we would never be able to listen to any music. We would never be able to watch anything on TV. We wouldn't be able to enjoy any kind of entertainment at all. Because when it comes to private life and all of that kind of stuff, we object to almost all of these people. And yet, if they are good at their craft, we can still uh, separate that and, and uh, enjoy the craft of what it is. You know, the holidays are already an expensive time for, uh, for most people, and uh, this is gonna be the most expensive holiday that, that most of us have, uh, have experienced because of inflation and also gas prices. If you're traveling, you're gonna pay a lot more for gas, and that means you gotta, you gotta take advantage of any opportunity you can find to save some money. And here's one opportunity, get upside. That's what it's called. It's an app, you can get it at the uh, App Store and, uh, or Google Play, and it's really simple. It gives you 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time you fill up. Uh, use promo code Walsh to get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price to the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back and there's no catch. Now uh, there's no fine print, there's no red tape. The cash is added right back to your account. You can uh, send it to your bank account. You can use PayPal, you can get a gift card. Anything you want to do, just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. And also, you know, this uh, season, MyPillow wants to give back to our listeners. You can get great discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. There you can find deep discounts on MyPillow's mattress toppers, towels, and so much more. For example, just one example of the deals you can find there, MyPillow is offering a buy one, get one free offer on Giza Dream Bed Sheets. These are top quality sheets. Once you uh, use these sheets, you're not going to want to use any other sheets ever again. That's true for all MyPillow products. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special for the buy one, get one free offer on the Giza sheets, and use promo code DailyWire at checkout or call 800-651-1148. You'll also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including pillows, slippers, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets, and much more. That's MyPillow.com and enter Daily Wire, or call 1-800-651-1148 and tell them Daily Wire sent you. Again, that's 1-800-651-1148. All right, let's get now to the comment section.
1: Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby game.
0: Jolene says, I think you're right about 2024, Matt. If Trump would endorse DeSantis, that would be amazing. I would just hope Florida would uh, get just as good a governor to replace him. And maybe someday PA will be that lucky. LOL. Yeah, that's actually the one argument against DeSantis running that I'm sympathetic to, especially if you live in Florida. And I've I've heard this before. No, I don't want DeSantis to run because then we lose him as governor. So I understand that argument. Um, But, you know, I, I think that. Because he is a governor, specifically, he has shown an ability to govern. And uh, so that's a skill that we know will carry over into the presidency. I mean, you could have a very talented conservative senator who's really good in their position. Doesn't necessarily mean they'd be a good president because it's a different skill set. I mean, if there's actually any skill involved in being a senator, which I'm not totally sold on. But there is definitely skill involved in being an effective governor. Um, Catherine says, Matt, I'm glad you found something for your son. Boys are easy to shop for. But in my experience, grown men are hard to shop for. Why are you guys so picky? See, I don't understand this. I hear this complaint from women a lot that uh, men are hard to shop for. We are we are so easy to shop for. You know why? See, women, you you make this more complicated than it needs to be and with all due respect you you tend to do that in general in life you make things more complicated than they need to be because you're overthinking it men are very easy to shuffle all you have to do here's here's the here's here's the process okay there's a man in your life you're buying a gift for whether it's your father your husband whatever boyfriend um so here's what you do you go up to them and you say hey what do you want as a gift and they'll tell you, and then just go and get that thing, whatever it is. That's all. See, the problem for, for women is that, well, you actually know what the men in your life would like as a gift, but you don't want to get them that because it doesn't feel it doesn't feel creative eno- enough. You, you know, you think that it's the thought that counts the most. What you don't understand is that it's the thought that counts. That's a that's a, a female mentality. That's not how we look at it as men. Like we actually don't care about if I'm given a gift that I want and it's something that I want. I don't care if there was no thought put into it at all. Makes no difference to me. Um, So that's your own mentality. So ask the man in your life what they want and then go buy it. And yeah, here's the thing. Like every man in your life, there's only like two or three things that he wants. And it's always the same. And so what that means is that for every gift giving occasion, you're just getting him the same thing. And that's fine. I mean, the gift is for him, right? It's not for you, so get him what he wants. Um, like my dad, for example, all he ever wants as gifts are uh, gift cards to restaurants where he likes to eat. That's it. That, that's like the only thing that he wants. And so for every gift-giving occasion, and we have tried through the years, especially my sisters and my mom, I mean, they've tried through the years to try, like, get him something else. Oh, we thought we, we thought this would be cute to get you instead. Maybe, maybe you'd be interested in this. But then he's going to see that as a project, as almost like an assignment, a chore, where you're giving him something he's not interested. Now he's got to develop a whole new set of interests and a whole new hobbies to use this gift. Just i give, just give him what he wants. That's all. Um, Freedom Underground says, Walsh is an ageist. LOL. Damn. Yeah, I'm ageist against 78-year-old presidents. I am. I'm, a, I'm 100% ageist against 78-year-old presidents. I am ageist against anyone over the age of, say, 75 running for president. And I think that it should be banned. And I think it's crazy that it's not banned. 35 to 75, that should be the time frame. Run for president. You got 40 years to get it done. You can't get it done. Then that's it. You you had 40 years to try. Uh, Nice try. Now go home and be with your grandchildren. Live your remaining years in peace. It's actually, it's it's really a gift, in fact, that you're not going to be president. The, the, there's already this problem where um, oftentimes the people less the, the people least qualified to be president are the ones who most want to be president. In fact the very desire to be president uh, is is a red flag in and of itself and so that's the catch-22. But that is even more the fact for when someone is elderly. I mean, if you're 78 years old and you want to be president at that age, you actually actually want to take that on. Uh, That just tells me that you are a narcissist, an egomaniac, power mad, all the rest of it. I mean, look at Joe Biden. Um, Let's see. Alexander says, sorry, Matt, DeSantis already said he isn't running. So leave your TDS at the door and get on the MAGA train. Well, he didn't say that he's not running, as far as I know. He said he is going to run for re-election for governor, but that doesn't mean he's not going to run for president. And uh, TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. Criticizing Trump is not TDS, okay? I criticize lots of politicians on this show. If you watch this show, you know that. Do I have derangement syndrome about every politician that I criticize? Or is Trump the only one that you can't criticize without being deranged? Even when he does and says things that you would criticize anyone else for doing and saying? Still, it's derangement to criticize them? Come on. Uh, Free Cat says Gossip is negative by definition. It does not refer to casual sharing of stories. It's usually embarrassing or completely made up. Given today's climate, you should treat your home like a military base. The less people know, the more secure your home is. Um, I agree. And my point about gossip is simply that women gossip because they actually care about what's happening in other people's lives. Um, and that can take on negative forms at times, where they care about the you know the things that they that are, that are really private and they shouldn't be talking about. But I think it's born from something positive, which is which is that they actually care about what's happening. Whereas whereas men largely don't care that much about what's happening in other people's lives. We, that's not what we feel like talking about. Like we're not going to sit down and talk about. We we might talk a little bit, but we're not going to sit down and have an hour long conversation about what's happening in somebody else's life. Not because of any moral superiority, but we just, we just don't care. Like I'd rather talk about football or politics or something like that. Uh, And finally, Paul says, Matt, I have to ask you if you think COVID is real or is it something you think our government is using for power? Because it seems like it's affecting the whole world. I agree. Mandates are dangerous, but your attitude is equally dangerous. So why can't it be both? I mean, it's real and it's something the government is using. So there's a little bit of a false choice there. All right. Pretty excited about this, folks. I have four Daily Wire promos to tell you about. So buckle in and get ready for this. Candace Owens is one of the few voices in America that isn't afraid to ruffle some feathers, which is why the Daily Wire sent her to Mar-a-Lago to interview one of the most censored men in America, President Trump. They discuss everything from the potential for another presidential run in 2024, why he didn't pardon a certain whistleblowers, and uh, what he really thinks about Alec Baldwin. All of that is covered, and you can see that tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, only on dailywire.com. And, um, and if you want to show your support for truth seekers like Candace, head to yeswecandace.com to pick up some awesome Candace merchandise as well. And there's more. Ben Shapiro's newest show, The Search, is excellent. And if you haven't watched it, you're missing out. The show is a voyeuristic view of his closest and uh, most influential friends. And uh, as they share their inklings and personal lives over coffee, his great friend Jordan Peterson is the first to join him. And it's truly an excellent watch. All episodes are exclusive to The Daily Wire. So if you uh, want to be able to watch this, you got to become a Daily Wire member. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. And the Daily Wire is making it easier to listen to all of our content on the go with our launch of Listen, which means you'll now be able to listen to all of your favorite Daily Wire content on the website and the DW app. Why did we call it Listen? Because that's where you listen. So that, that was it was a marketing, lot, lot of marketing meetings to decide what do we call this? And we decided let's call it Listen. Listen is here to make soaking up our content as convenient as possible with a limited ad audio experience. So make sure you go there and uh, do that. And also, not only was The Daily Wire the first in the nation to sue the Biden administration for their unconstitutional mandates, we're less than 50,000 away from hitting our goal of one million signatures on our Do Not Comply petition. Why? Because people are realizing that if we don't actively fight for our freedom, the government will take it. So go to dailywire.com do not comply and uh, make sure you sign that and our one millionth signature will win a million dollars. I totally made that up. So forget about that. But still, go to dailywire.com/slash do not comply. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we have to cancel a woman named Whitney Levitt, who has amassed a following of uh, half a million fans on TikTok, mostly from what I can tell by lip syncing and dancing while pregnant. Now TikTok has proven that there's an enormous market out there for 12 second videos of people lip syncing and dancing, but in order to really make it big on the platform, you need to discover your own niche within that category, your own twist. So some people lip sync and dance while only partially clothed. Some people lip sync and dance while dance while not clothed at all. Uh, others lip sync and dance while wearing funny outfits. There are people lip syncing and dancing while cross-dressing. You know, um, I saw one woman who was lip syncing and dancing while being very old. So that was her own special variation on the theme. And all these people have like lots and lots of followers on TikTok. But Whitney had the pregnant lip sync dance genre cornered until her TikTok career was derailed because she had her baby, and so she was no longer pregnant. And searching for some new creative inspiration, she found her opportunity when her newborn child came down with uh, the respiratory virus RSV. Now, three of my kids had RSV as babies. All of them had to go to the hospital for it. And I can tell you it's an extremely scary experience because while the virus manifests as a cold in adults, much like Omnicorn, it can kill a very young child, unlike Omnicorn. It would be an understatement to say that while at the hospital with my severely sick children, I was not in a dancing mood. Now, to be be fair, I'm never in a dancing mood, but if I were to ever experience the strange and arbitrary urge to move my body to the rhythm of music, it would not be at the hospital with a sick child. Now, Whitney, on the other hand, takes a different approach to parenting. And so she recorded and posted this video at the hospital while standing next to her newborn child who was struggling to breathe. Let's watch.
1: Love. I wanna be with you. I wanna be with
0: you. Now, for those listening only to the audio, let me paint the mental picture for you. Um, Whitney, wearing a bright pink Nirvana sweater, despite I'm sure not being able to name more than two Nirvana songs at most, that's beside the point. Uh, Whitney is, is standing in a, in a hospital room next to her newborn child, performing a choreographed dance routine. While the captions on the screen inform us that he has RSV, has low oxygen levels, and cannot breathe well on his own. Now we should note that it's not even a sad song and dance either. This isn't like an interpretive performance where she's communicating her sadness and anxiety through dance. That would also be completely insane. This somehow manages to be even crazier because the song and dance are upbeat. Meanwhile, her son is lying helplessly in the bassinet, looking at the camera with a distinct get away from me, woman uh, expression on his face. Now, If you really wanted to make excuses for Whitney, which I don't, you might argue that all of the dancing nurses over the last two years have given people the mistaken impression that hospital rooms also double as dance studios. I'm just glad that this trend took hold after my Achilles surgery a few years ago, because if I had the same procedure today, I'd probably wake up from anesthesia to discover that there's a viral video on TikTok of my surgeon dancing around my unconscious body while he stitches together my shattered tendons. tendons. So I think I've escaped that sort of thing. But now my nightmare is that, you know, sometime in the future, I'll go in for some routine blood work or something only to have the doctor and 15 nurses come dancing into the room with a marching band to inform me that I have stage four cancer and I'll be dead in three months. That's where this is headed. Now, all that being said, this is no excuse for Whitney, who should have known better all the same. And she now acknowledges that. And she issued a a tearful apology a couple of days later after her video failed to receive the applause that she was hoping for. Uh, This is what she said.
1: I understand people are upset with the video that I made. I just want to be clear and communicate that that was me just trying to be positive. I think it's important to to just not just assume what someone's going through. Anyways, I took the video down because I could see, you know, where somebody could get the wrong idea, but that honestly was just me just trying to be positive in this situation. But I do want to say thank you for people who have reached out to me and my family, and I just really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, she's the victim here, you see. The victim of the content that she posted on the internet to her massive crowd of followers. She says that she was just trying to be positive. Well, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, people try to stay positive. I've been to plenty of funerals where people are laughing and joking, finding joy even in grief. It's a very common coping mechanism. But the problem here is not positivity. The problem isn't even necessarily the dancing. Now, if I walked into a room and found a mother dancing alone around her sick child, I would think that it was super weird and I'd be very uncomfortable having witnessed it. But I'd probably assume that it was some kind of like religious ritual or something. The main point is that it would be none of my business if I were to just walk into a room and see that. If that's how you cope in private, well, okay, that's your affair. But this was not private. She made the decision to record, edit, and post this content to the internet. She wasn't merely staying positive, she was using her child's sickness as content for social media. She didn't stay positive, she stayed posting. And that's the issue here. Speaking of funerals, this reminds me of uh, the influencer a few weeks ago, I think I mentioned on the show, who found herself in the middle of a similar firestorm when she posed for seductive photos next to her father's open casket and posted them to Instagram. And she captioned it Butterfly, fly away. RIP, Poppy, you are my best friend. A life well lived. Now, once again, there's nothing wrong with that sentiment. The problem is that she felt the need to post pictures of herself with her dad's corpse on social media. That's not coping. That's content. What should have been a very personal and private moment becomes an opportunity to bring attention to yourself. Now, she justified herself, the one with the corpse, um, after the fact by saying, everybody handles their loss of a loved one in their own way. Some some are more traditional, while others might come across as taboo. For me, I treated the celebration as if my father was right next to me posing for the camera as he had done on many occasions prior. But again, she's free to grieve in her own way, to celebrate her father's life in her own way, to go through this privately in whatever way she sees fit. It's none of our business, unless you make it our business, which in this case she did. And when that happens, we are free to ask why. I mean, what motivates people to bring these sacred and intimate moments into the public sphere, exploiting their own trauma for content, Cashing in their grief and misery for likes and shares. Why do people do it? I think there are a few factors, but one that we can consider is that, um, you know, this new crop of social media influencers grew up with the Internet on it, in it. They've never had a private life. They've been on stage effectively almost since birth, living in front of an audience. Now, everybody knows that child actors usually grow up to become deeply disturbed and troubled adults. Why is that? Well, because they never experienced normal human existence. They were famous before they could understand what fame meant and certainly before they could really choose it for themselves. They've been performing for so long, they they never had a chance to develop a real personality, a real interior life. So they grow into these stunted, hollow people and they try to fill that gap in, that, that hollowness in with drugs and everything else. Well, the problem is that now all kids have child actor syndrome. The only difference is that most of them don't have millions of dollars to show for it. But they get on the internet and social media early in life, and they begin cultivating their own little audience. And they become small-scale public figures performing for the crowd, trying constantly to appease and grow their fan base. though they can't explain what they gain from it. And this is true of adults, too. Everybody is a public figure now on one scale or another. Everyone is famous in their own way. Only most people get the worst parts of fame, the lack of privacy, the narcissism, the constant crushing fear that you'll become irrelevant, but none of the perks, money, admiration, success. And this is how we end up with people who put everything on the internet, who publicize every detail of themselves, who use every experience and every thought and every misfortune and trauma as content mere fuel to shove into the fire. That's how Whitney Levitt happens. Though this is not an excuse. We still must hold individuals accountable for their own behavior, which is why today she is still, at the end, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening. Have a great day, Godspeed. (laughs) The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart, And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021.
2: Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Omicron is now the dominant strain of COVID in the United States. Joe Biden threatens the unvaccinated with illness and death for Christmas. And the White House gives up on Joe Manchin. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.